Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bryn, and the mugginess is so real right now. It has been crazy for days between the rain and then just the mugginess, the humidity. It's so damp in the air. Mother Nature is mean mugging right now. As I always mention, I love the heat so much, but I'm definitely a dry heat person. And it's incredible that with as much moisture as there is in the air, I feel so dehydrated. I've been getting the worst Charlie horses, and I actually got one in my sleep last night, which was no bueno. But on a brighter note, hopefully there are some nice pool days in the near future, and I went to the beach this weekend, which was super nice, with a group of my friends, and we had an amazing time, and as mentioned, I got to read a little bit. I hadn't read as much as I thought I would, like I had mentioned in last week's episode, but I do have a book that I started that I'm going to throw out there in the recommendations because it is amazing so far. And also, hopefully, by next week, I will get to talk about my new baby niece because Kelsey is getting close to having her baby. So I can't wait for that. I'm so excited. And obviously, sending her all the luck and love and positive energy for her birthing experience. Aside from that, I'm going to jump right into any recommendations or new things that I am currently listening to, reading, watching, so we can move forward with the episode because this room is so hot right now and it's already really late. (laughs) Again, I'm recording very late tonight and I'm already in what feels like a sauna experience. So, let me move forward. I started reading The Last Widow by Karen Slaughter while I was at the beach last weekend. So far, so good. And I'm about, I would say, about a third of the way through the book. So, highly recommend at the moment. I also just bought Verity by Colleen Hoover, which I'm really, really excited for because I've been hearing amazing things about this book for a while now. And I finally got my hands on it because I was in a local bookshop and I remembered to get it. Show-wise, Timo and I just started watching Based on a True Story on Peacock. This was recommended by listener Christina as well as Kelsey and Carson and a few others and so far we are completely hooked. I loved Only Murders in the Building and this is like somewhat similar to that vibe and just the casting's great, the timed humor is great, and the whole premise of the show so far is fabulous. So, highly recommend watching Based on a True Story if you have Peacock. As far as podcasts go, nothing new in that category, so I'm not going to recommend anything there this week. From there into the coffee recipe we go. As mentioned, it is super late already with me recording, and not that I can't drink coffee before bed, but I don't want to have bad acid reflux all night. So, I am doing another coffee recipe this week. I believe last week's was a regular coffee, though, so trying to squeeze some in there for you guys when I can. 
This week's coffee recipe I got from the Torani website. Many of you might recognize that brand from coffee syrups that they have. So this week's coffee is a lavender vanilla iced latte. And there are not many ingredients to this and not many steps, which makes a good time making this coffee. I haven't done it, but I feel like it's so simple enough that I'm going to try it this weekend. So the ingredients you'll need are one tablespoon or a half ounce of Tarani lavender syrup, one tablespoon or half ounce of Tarani vanilla syrup, two shots of espresso, one cup or eight ounces of coconut milk, and ice. And the instructions are to combine the chilled espresso, so you're chilling this, the milk, and both of the Tarani syrups in a tall glass filled with ice and stir well. And then they mentioned that you can also substitute a half a cup of strong brewed coffee in place of the espresso if you wanted to. And that's it. Easy peasy pudding pie. If you try it, let me know what you think. Send pictures, especially if you do your own little twists to it. I love hearing that as listeners have done that in the past and sent really cute pictures and gave little coffee reviews on what they thought of it. So send those my way. If I remember, I will give you my own little bean rating next week's episode for this coffee because as mentioned, I'm definitely going to try it this weekend as long as I can get my hands on the Tarani syrup. Now let's get into today's episode. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Today seems to be a listener-suggested based episode, so going along with that theme, today's case was suggested by listener Jenna. Thank you so much, Jenna. I had never heard of this case before, or this story before, I should say, and thank you, Jenna, for bringing my attention to it and giving me that recommendation. So today's case is about Maria Elena, aka Helen, Milagro de Hoyos. She mostly went by or is referred to as Elena or Elena de Hoyos in articles, so that's what I will be referring to her as throughout this episode. Elena was born in 1909 and she was Cuban-American. Her dad's name was Francisco Pancho Hoyos and he was a local cigar maker and her mom's name was Aurora Milagro. She had two sisters, Florinda, aka Nana, Milagro Hoyos, who was her older sister, and Celia Milagro Hoyos, who was her younger sister. Elena was dark-haired, and she lived in Key West, Florida. She was described as beautiful by many, and she was actually a known quote-unquote local beauty. February 18, 1926, Elena married Luis Mesa. At the time of this story, Elena was still legally married to Mesa. However, at some point during their marriage, Elena had had a miscarriage and Luis left her and went to Miami, which is fucking horrible. April 22nd, 1930, Elena met Carl Tanzler, a radiology technician at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. She was 22 years old at the time, and Elena's mom had brought her to the Marine Hospital for an exam and testing since she had been feeling sick. 
It was unclear whether Elena had been diagnosed prior to this hospital or while she was there, but Elena had been diagnosed with tuberculosis. Some articles made it sound like she was diagnosed with TB at the Marine Hospital, although they did not flat out say that. A little background about Tansler before we get into details of this story. So remember, Tansler is the radiology technician that she met at this U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. He went by multiple names throughout his life, which included George Carl Tansler, Carl Tansler, Carl Tansler von Kossel, Count Carl Tansler von Kossel, and as previously mentioned, Carl Tansler. But the Carl Tanzler was spelt different, C-A-R-L, than the first one I mentioned was K-A-R-L. He grew up in Imperial Germany, and prior to World War I, he moved to Australia, but returned to Germany around 1920. He then married a woman named Doris Schaefer and had two daughters, Aisha or Aisha Tanzler, who was born in 1922, and Clarista Tanzler, who was born in 1924. In 1926, he immigrated to the U.S., and he first arrived in Havana, Cuba, and then from Cuba, he went to Zephyr Hills, Florida. His wife and daughters later joined him, but in 1927, he alone left Zephyr Hills and started living in Key West, Florida. Here, he began working at the U.S. Marine Hospital which is where he met Elena. An important thing to note, throughout Tansler's life, he claimed to have visions, and in these visions, he said that he was visited by a quote-unquote ancestor named Countess Anna Constantia von Kossel. He said that she showed him the face, quote, of his true love, an exotic dark-haired woman, and that was a quote from Wiki. Back to the meeting of Tansler and Elena, when Tansler met Elena, he, quote, immediately recognized her as the beautiful dark-haired woman that had been revealed to him in his earlier, quote-unquote, visions. And that was another quote from Wiki. This meeting eventually evolved into Tansler treating Elena, and he would go to Elena's home and attempt to cure her using medicines, electrical equipment, experimental tonics, and x-ray equipment. Along with these treatments, Tanzler began to bring gifts to Elena as well. Allegedly, he would also profess his love to her. Creepy. And as many of these stories go, there has been no evidence that show Elena reciprocating those feelings. October 25th, 1931. Devastatingly, Elena died at home of tuberculosis. Her funeral and an above-ground mausoleum were paid for by Tanzler. Apparently, her family didn't know that he had a key to this mausoleum made for him and him only. She was buried in the Key West Cemetery, and almost every night, Tanzler would go to the mausoleum to visit Elena, which would have been nice if he weren't such a freaking creep. Tanzler claimed that he would sing a favorite Spanish song to her and that her spirit would come to him when he did this. He would also leave her gifts and even installed a telephone in there. April 1933, 
Just visiting the remains of Elena wasn't enough for Tanzler anymore. On this night, he decided to sneak into the mausoleum and stole her body. With the utmost respect, it's important to note that at this point, her body consisted of basically just bones. From here, he brought her back to his home using a toy wagon as transportation. According to him, when he would see her spirit, those times that he said he sung to her and she would come to him, she would also speak to him sometimes as well. And during these times, he claimed that she was telling him to take her, which I call bullshit because if she didn't want to reciprocate any form of love for you in the living life, why would she want that in the afterlife? Put two and two together, Tansler. So there is a bit of a trigger warning moving forward here. Graphic content will be discussed regarding what Tansler did with Elena's body. Once he got her back to his home, he reconstructed her corpse. Using piano wire, he attached her bones back together, and some articles listed coat hangers as well. He put glass eyes into her eye sockets, and Elena's abdominal and chest cavity were filled with rags to make it appear as though her body was fully there. He also created new skin for her body, using silk cloth, which was soaked in wax and plaster of Paris, and I had read in multiple articles that he would frequently reapply the wax to make sure that her face stayed together. A wig was created from her remaining hair, as well as hair that he had somehow obtained from her mom, and this wig was stapled to her head. He then dressed Elena's body, putting her in items such as gloves and stockings, as well as adorning her in jewelry. Elena was then placed in his bed and sprayed with disinfectants and perfume to cover the smell of decomposition. He would also cover her with flowers, and not only this, but Tanzler would also use preserving agents to try and keep her from decomposing any further. Moving on to October 1940, so this was seven years after Tanzler had stolen Elena's body. Florinda, aka Nana, who was Elena's older sister, went to Tanzler's home and confronted him because she had heard rumors that he was sleeping with the body of her deceased sister. Other rumors included that a neighbor had seen him dancing with Elena's body in front of a window, and that him and Elena's body had dinners together. And I hate saying Elena's body, but I don't know how else to verbalize that besides saying, like, Elena's corpse, which I feel is even worse. So, utmost respect as I'm saying that. Florinda then contacted authorities, and Elena's body was subsequently found in the home by authorities. Tanzler was arrested and received a psychiatric evaluation, and he was found mentally competent to stand trial and was charged with, quote, destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. October 9th, 1940, there was a preliminary hearing, and the whole case was eventually dropped when the statute of limitations expired. 
and he was released. I don't know what the statute of limitations could have possibly been for that charge for him to be sitting for that long over this situation to the point where he was released. So that's a little mind-blowing to me, but that's exactly what happened. Moving on to some aftermath. After Elena's body was found, pathologists and physicians examined what Tansler had done to it. She was put on display at the Dean Lopez funeral home, which I hope was by choice of the family and not for public gawking, because if it were the latter, that's just beyond awful and insensitive. Eventually, she was buried in a secret unmarked grave in Key West Cemetery, which is where she had been previously, and this was done to deter Tansler or anyone else after all of this from stealing her again. I'm hoping her family at least knows where she has been put to rest, because there was really no mention of that in articles. There has been debate around whether evidence of necrophilia was present. And this is all a quote from Wiki. Quote, Two physicians, Dr. Depu and Dr. Foraker, who attended the 1940 autopsy of Elena's remains, recalled in 1972 that a vaginal tube had been inserted into the vaginal area of the corpse that allowed for intercourse. Others contend that since no evidence of necrophilia was presented at the 1940 preliminary hearing, and because the physician's quote-unquote proof surfaced in 1972, over 30 years after the case had been dismissed, the necrophilia allegation is questionable. And there was many things within many articles going back and forth about that, and the presence of the vaginal tube and it not being there and certain people reporting it, not reporting it, and whatnot. So that is all debatable. In regards to Tansler, this man actually garnished sympathy from some people, and clearly he had some form of mental illness going on, but I don't see how people could be sympathetic towards his actions let alone view him as a quote-unquote eccentric romantic, which is exactly what fucking happened. People claimed that he was an eccentric romantic. It's honestly nauseating, and that's all I have to say about that, because it's mind-blowing that Those words would come out of some people's mouths for a man digging up a woman's body, putting her back together, and potentially having sexual acts with her body after she had passed. It's just, it's mind-blowing that they would describe that as eccentric or as a romantic when this man clearly had severe mental illness. Anyway, in 1944, he moved to Pasco County, Florida, And at some point, he also created a life-size sculpture of Elena. July 3rd, 1952, he died in his home, and he wasn't found until three weeks later. And he lived with the sculpture of Elena until he died. Some reports even say, and there's debate about this as well, that he was found 
dead in the arms of the sculpture of Elena, while others kind of contradict that. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Altered versions of this story have evolved over the years, with details being added, such as Tansler allegedly poisoning Elena from the get-go while she was sick with the TB. And a final rumor surrounding this case was that Tansler had somehow switched or got back Elena's body, and that the sculpture that he was in possession of when he died was actually her body, which let's hope that that was not the case. Elena's story has gone on to be covered or mentioned in many forms of media, such as books, podcasts, music, TV, and theater, some of which included the following. In 2007, the band The Black Dahlia Murder released a song titled Death Mask Divine on their nocturnal album, which tells the story of Elena. In TV, in 2000, the History Channel program Haunted History Key West detailed the case. In 2014, the NBC series The Blacklist, which I talk about all the time, featured a plotline that resembled this entire story, and this was in the 20th episode of its second season. And then in 2015, the story of Tansler and Elena was featured on ID series True Nightmares called Overstay Your Welcome. In the podcast world, aside from right now, of course, on Crime Colts and Coffee, My Favorite Murder has covered this story, This Is Criminal has covered this story, and there is also a book that came out in October 2022 called Orpheus Builds a Girl by author Heather Parry, and that was heavily inspired by this case. So those are just a few of the many things that came out surrounding this story. Sadly, that is the end of the story of Elena de Hoyos and the information I have regarding her case. And even though this wasn't a typical true crime story where someone's life is taken at the hands of the other person, I feel like this was extremely horrific and reminded me a lot of the case that Kelsey and I had covered in a past episode regarding the Anatoly Moskvin case. Even though they weren't exactly the same, there was just so many similarities. Even the fact that he used a toy wagon to roll her remains home. There's just so many similarities. So if you haven't listened to the episode yet, on a Natalie Moskvin, go listen to that one because it's very similar to this case. Although this was a shorter episode this week, super, super important story to tell. Elena deserves to have her story told. I'm also overheating, so it's definitely almost a blessing that (laughs) this was a shorter one to tell this week because I might have passed out within the last 10 minutes if I had more to tell. And thank you again, Jenna, for recommending this case. Again, I had not heard of it, and I'm so glad that I now know Elena's story, although I wish I had a little more background info on her in general. I'm so glad that I could tell her story. And without further ado, into the spiel I go. 
You can find Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. That's where I post any pictures of coffee reviewed, past coffee reviews, past episodes, any merch information, important information regarding the podcast, and really cool listener story reposts can all be found in the highlights on Instagram. The link tree in the bio has most of the listening platforms that this podcast is on. If you go to Facebook at Crime Colts and Coffee, that's where I put any resources, photos, links, calls to action related to the episode. This episode in specific didn't have any calls to action, but for the future, as mentioned in all other episodes, but just in case this is the first one you're listening to, all calls to action for those episodes can also be found in the episode show notes, which is basically the same thing as if you were to look at the description of the episode that you're listening to. If you have a listener story or case suggestion, I suggest you email me at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at crimecoltsandcoffee. The case suggestions, keep sending them in. I will eventually get to all of them. And listener stories, send them my way. I thankfully had two listeners reach out and or talk to me in person yesterday and tell me that they have a listener story coming my way and I'm so excited to hear it. So I'm holding you accountable if you had that conversation with me. And if you haven't had that conversation with me, surprise me. I like surprises. Send them my way. I love the listener stories and I don't get nearly enough of them. If you like this podcast, you can leave a rate and review if you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so. This might include Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, among others. And if you're listening on a platform that doesn't allow you to do so, On any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. I really hope you take the time to do that. I will send you free stickers, and also I'll just have so much appreciation for you taking the time to not only listen to the podcast, but to review it and give me feedback on it, and or if you recommend it to others, thank you. Aside from that, what else do I have to mention? Oh, listener art. Keep sending it my way as well. I'm obsessed. And if you want me to put it on the Instagram page, let me know when you send it and I will be over the moon to do that for you because first of all, I love sharing people's work and getting other people's artistic work out there. And second of all, I'm just obsessed with the listener art <laughs> and it's it's amazing. So keep sending that my way as well. I have nothing else to say besides have a good weekend. Hopefully you're not going to be sweating it out like I am right now. And if you are, hopefully you have a nice cool pool to jump into. And if you're listening from part of the world or part of the country where it's not hot right now, If it's cold, I'm really sorry. And if it's perfect temperature, lucky you. I'm gonna go exit this sauna of a room and hydrate. Until next week, bye.
information regarding this case and our resources. Follow us at Crime Calls and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.